For our scripture reading today will come from Ezra, 7th chapter, 10th verse. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching his decrees and laws in Israel. I want to thank all of you for the prayer chain. That thing works phenomenal and for praying for my wife. Um, it's really been hard on her. And my granddaughter and my daughter-in-law. So all of a sudden my family's become a walking COVID pop. Everybody around me is popping up positive on that crazy little test everybody's doing. So I do want to thank you for the prayer chain and, and praying for our family and asking God to protect all of us in the house of God. You know, this is his house and we're here to honor him and worship him. Um, I really loved watching my boys play in soccer growing up. I believe my oldest son, Joshua, who was a really good soccer player, got us into the sport of soccer. Watch Lightning kind of direct the team out there on the field, and the ball's kicked, telling the kids where to go. And uh, His high school team, they worked really good as a unit. For like four years, they stayed together, and they was a really good team. And they had a kid on their team who was lightning fast. I mean, if the ball was kicked out in the middle of the field, this kid was right there on it. And I remember one game, the ball was kicked to him, and he caught the ball. When I say caught, he caught it with his foot, you know. And he's, they call it dribbling down the field. And it's just him and the goalie. And in my mind, I thought, man, dude, goalie, you're about to have a rough day. Life is becoming hard on you right now. And all of a sudden, the kid kicking the ball just stops. He runs away from the ball, and he goes back out to the, with the other team. So I turned, and I looked at the fans, and because uh, I don't know nothing about soccer now. I know nothing about the game. I said, uh, what's going on? I said, why did that kid just turn around and uh, come back with the kids, other kids? And they said to me, there was offsides. Offsides? How could there be offsides? I thought the rule of any sport that we played, I thought the goal was to be bigger, better, faster, meaner, more fundamentally sound than any kid on the floor, on the court, or on the field. I thought that was the goal of any sport, was to be better than the other person. Apparently, I was wrong. So I said to one of the dads, I said, what is this, a gentleman's game? Whereby I'm not to allow to defend the other kid to say, hey, I'm actually better at you this game. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to hurt your team's feelings, and I don't want to hurt your coach's feelings, so I won't run faster than you. I won't play harder than you. I won't be better than you because I'm a gentleman, and I just want to make sure your feelings are not hurt of me beating you down the floor. Game after game after game, I would say this. As soon as the flag would go up, I would stand up and say to the ref, sorry that my kid was faster than every other kid out there. Not my kid, but the kid on my, the team. Sorry for them doing that. He shouldn't have done it. Well, I typically sit with dads who were similar to me. We, you know, you dads know what I'm talking about. You get with a group that you're all thinking the same thing. And, of course, my wife would never sit with me. She wanted nothing to do with me at the games because I embarrassed her. And the game she did sit, she says, listen, you need to get on the whole team. If you're mad at one of the boys, don't call one of the boys out, but... Cheer the team and tell the whole team they need to get better. The whole team ain't the problem. It's the one kid. That's the problem. He's not getting the job done. 
So when she'd get tired of me, she'd go sit by herself. And I'm sure over the years I've embarrassed my oldest son and my wife more than anybody when I'd go watch these games. And why did I do that? Because I didn't understand the laws of soccer. I didn't understand the rules of the game. And so I embarrassed myself by not knowing the rules. I embarrassed my son. I embarrassed my wife. And I probably embarrassed our team. But I didn't embarrass most of the dads because we were pretty much on the same page about what, what you need to do to win the game. And I think this is what happened this morning in this story as it relates to the law of God. Eighty years after the first return of God's people to Jerusalem to worship the Lord in 538 B.C., under the leadership of Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple of God, Ezra comes along. He's a scribe and priest, and he comes along with permission from King Artexas, returned with fewer than 1,754 people to study, to teach, and to live the law of God once again. Ezra was uniquely qualified for such a task. In chapter 7 and verse 6, the Bible says he knew the law. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of his God, which was upon him. In chapter 7, verses 11 and 12, Ezra was qualified or called by God and the king to do what he was about to do. Now, this is the copy of the letter that was sent to this king that he gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Our Texas, king of kings, unto Ezra, the priest, a scribe of the law of God of heaven, perfect peace, and at such a time. Now, I stopped there for a reason, at such a time. He had called him. God had called him. The king approved the call of God on Ezra's life. And Ezra now is about to return home 80 years later to restore the law of God. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, it seemed that Ezra himself understood the will of God. This is what the scripture says in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is what man is supposed to do. Now, this was no easy task for Ezra. First, fewer than 1,754 people wanted to join him on this feat. The Levites. The Levites were responsible for the tabernacle, for the spiritual care of the church, so to speak. They were to care for the physical and spiritual well-being of the people. And not one Levite. Not one wanted to go with Ezra to go back home and set things right. They didn't want to do it. And because they didn't want to do it, in chapter 8, verses 15 through 20, Ezra had to send out a letter, and he had to beg them. Would somebody please go with me and return home so we can bring the law of God or the will of God to the people? And they said, no. We ain't going with you, dude. There's no way we're going to get out there and go. This was no easy task for him. In chapter 7, verse 26, punishment for noncompliance was severe. Whosoever will not do the law of thy God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily upon him, whether it be unto death, to banishment, to confiscation of goods, or to imprisonment. Nobody wanted to go. None of the religious leaders wanted to go. And the king says, if you don't obey God, you don't obey Ezra, and you don't obey me, I'm going to wax you. I'm going to take your goods, or I'm just going to kick you out of the country. Who would want to go do something like that? 
Not only that, but in chapter 9, verse 1, the leaders were as guilty as the people. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Amorites, Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. Here's basically what happened as I understand it. Some of these do-gooders who were there came back and decided to be tattletales. They come to Ezra and they say, look, all these people back here is not following God. They're not listening to God. They're not loving God. They're not in his law. They just ratted their whole people out. And you know what? I don't blame them. At first I thought, who are you to tattle on me about something I didn't do? What gives you the right to go tell this guy that I'm not following the law of God? But if you had been in the situation that they had been in, maybe you would have done that. Come on. None of us want to make the mistakes, our kid to make the mistakes we made, do we? Now, we want them to make other mistakes. Not, don't, don't make the mistake I made, son. I don't want you to go down that road. I don't want you to go down that avenue. They had just been in bondage for all these years, and God freed them. He set them free to worship him and love him and serve him, and some of them didn't do it. They didn't want to follow his will. They didn't want to follow his law or his way. So they come back, and they tell Ezra, look what these people are doing. But then again, I don't blame the other people for not following the law of God. If you're in captivity, if you're in bondage, and things ain't going right, you're probably going to say, what's the point of following you? What's the point of serving you? What's the point of loving you? It ain't worked out yet. And if it ain't working out, why would I want to do it? Besides that, God said we was going to go into captivity. So why would I want to do right by him? Nevertheless, this was the call of God. So how would you handle that? God comes to you and he says to you, I'm laying on your heart to go correct my people. I got permission from the king to go and help my people. But you have to talk to the leaders. You have to talk to the people and you have to talk to the guidance people. How would you handle it? Would you just go and say, yeah, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I know what I would do. I'd be a Levite. I say, Ezra, you're crazy. There's no way I'm going to go back to there and try to tell those people how to live. Not going to happen, Ezra. But you know what, Ezra? I think I'll stay right here because at least here nobody's bothering me. At least here nobody's making my life miserable. And I can kind of live in the gray. I can serve God when I want to, and I cannot serve him when I don't want to. I'll just pick and choose, Ezra, when I serve God. But then I'd go pat Ezra on the back, and I'd say, go have fun, man. You run right on back, tell the leaders, tell the people, and tell everybody how wrong they're doing. Brian Jevedon would want no part of that. Nevertheless, Ezra said, this is what I got to do. What was the sin that was so bad that these people had to come and tattletale on them? In Deuteronomy chapter 7, they served heathen gods. This is what the command was from God. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hast cast out many nations before thee, the Hittite, 
the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Glad you didn't have to read that for a scripture, ain't you? Seven nations, he says, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee. In other words, God's going to give you the land that you ain't earned. He's just going to give it to you. When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before you, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Why? What's the big deal who you marry? It wasn't the marriage part. It was the heart part and who you served and who you followed. And this was the reason God said, For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. It wasn't the fact that they wanted to get married. It was the fact that they worshipped a false god. And this worship of a false god would draw God's people away from him to serve a false god. And he said, don't do it. Don't even go down that road. We all love things, don't we? We love things. I love basketball. You think basketball can't draw me away from God? It will in a split minute. Let one of my kids not shoot the ball the way I want. Let us quit playing defense. Let us quit working together, right? You'll see somebody go ballistic. Somebody will call, hey, I thought you was a preacher. Well, I thought I was too, but not today. Because these little quacks out here ain't getting it done. But because I love basketball, it would draw me away from what's important in life. Now, I did, when we was after practice, I talked to him about Christ and things like that. But I'm saying, in the heat of the moment, I served a different God. It may seem strange to you, but... It was. I remember once they scheduled us for an AAU tournament on Palm Sunday. I've never missed a Palm Sunday service in my life. And my buddy, he'd always tell my wife, because he knew I was a preacher, don't worry, we're going to get him on our side soon enough. He, you know, basically corrupt him. We're going to corrupt him. But I had it figured out. We would always play at like 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. So I picked out a church we would attend. And I told Andrew, we're going to Palm Sunday service. I'm not missing Palm Sunday. Now keep this in check. Not necessarily because I wanted to go to church, because I didn't want to receive the repercussions at home. Because you should have been in church. What are you doing choosing something over the Lordship of Christ? Something over His love. Something over His grace. Something over His kindness. And you're a leader, she says. Oh, man. Now you're hitting home. Now you're getting in my heart. Now you start talking to me. And I don't like that. Don't do that to me. But she was right on. Right there. And it caused me and it caused the children of Israel to serve a different God. This is why he said it. Don't go down this road. Don't follow this. Don't serve that. Don't go after that because I am the Lord your God. I am the one who loves you. I am the one who cares for you. I am the one who delivers you and brings you to a place that I want you to be. Don't serve any other God. The call of God, the call they agreed to, was to be a separated people living for the glory of Jehovah. They agreed to it when Moses brought them to the mount. 
And he says, this is the covenant God lays before you. They said, we accept that. We agree to that covenant. We will follow the Lord God of Israel. We will do what he wants us to do. We will love him and we will serve him. But Moses, we're not coming up to that mount because we saw that thing going. All the smoke and fire. But Moses, you represent us as we follow God. And he said, I'll do that. But they agreed in a covenant relationship to make the Lord God their own. But how were they to know the law of God? Or any law for that matter. The law was not put before them when they were in captivity. The temple was destroyed. Their way of life was destroyed. The law and all that stuff was destroyed. And it was taken away by a wicked king. So they're serving in a different land, serving different people and different gods, engrossed in the culture. How are they to know the law of God? How dare God put something on them that they didn't know or understand? Yet he did. How were they to know the law of God? When they come and told Ezra what was going on, it was in his heart to do three things in the scripture. One, he wanted to study God's law. He couldn't go speak to the people unless he knew the law of God and the will of God and how God wanted to direct their lives. Secondly, he wanted to live it out. It wasn't good enough just to know it. He had to live it before the people so that they could see what God was doing in his life. So he wanted to study it. He wanted to live it. And then he wanted to teach it once again. So he took 1,754 people with him to study, to live, and to teach the law once again to his people. It's only through the written word that they would know God Jehovah. Now the prophets would speak to them, but it was only through the word that they would know God. I believe all of us today have a responsibility to be in the holy word of God. We must know his word. We must understand his word. We must live his word in our lives, and we must share that word with other people. How do people know Christ unless we tell them? Everybody likes the word love. Just love everybody. Well, define love for me. Who gets to define love? How is love worked out? How is it fleshed out? How is it lived in a family? How is it lived between father and son? How is love lived between husband and wife? How is love lived between God and man? You only know that through the word. It's through the word that we understand and know God and what he's done for our life. In Psalm 119.105, the Bible says, it is guidance. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God guides us. It leads us and directs us. In Psalm 119 and verse 9, in the word is cleansing. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How? By taking heed thereunto according to the word of God. It will guide you. It will direct you. And his word will make you whole. In God's word is security. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. You can trust the word of God. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust anybody around you. But you can stand firm on that word. His word will never fail you. His word will never let you down. His word will keep you on the straight and narrow. But you got to trust it. you got to read it. you got to study it. you got to take it in and make it part of your life. His word will never let us down. 
in 2 Timothy 3.15, in his word is salvation. Now, Timothy was a young man pastoring a, a young church. And there was a lot of things going on in the church, and people were coming at him. And the apostle Paul, being a good leader and mentor that he were, he's, this is what he writes to Timothy. And that thou from a child hast known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise into salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All this fighting and bickering about who Jesus was and what he'd done. Paul says, Timothy, you know this in your heart. Your mom has taught you this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. You saw this worked out in your family. You've seen all this worked out. You've known it since you've been a little boy. Trust in that. Trust in that. It is him who will get you through to the end. It is him who will guide you. It is him who will lead you. It is him who will help you when you're really struggling and what he's asking you to do. In the word is salvation. And then he says right after that in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, in the word of God is everything you and I need to grow to be his disciple. It's all right there. This is what he says to Timothy. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God laid it on man's heart what to write. The man wrote out what God wanted him to write. The word is inspired by God himself. And it's profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is what you believe. There is a God. He's been revealed in Jesus Christ. He died. He rose again. He's born of a virgin. It's in your statement of faith in the Brethren Church. That is your doctrine. That is what you believe. It's right there written out. Your forefathers written out. This is what we believe as a church. That's doctrine. And then he says, for reproof. To show the man his wayward ways. Reproof. That what you're saying ain't true. Your religion ain't true. The word of God don't say that. The word of God don't teach that. And the word don't teach it. It ain't right. I don't care what you say. If his word ain't leading it, if his word ain't guiding it, that word will reprove and direct and guide someone the way it's supposed to be. The word is good for correction. Paul did this a lot in 1 Corinthians. You guys are all out of whack, he said. Your whole church service is out of whack. He said, the way you live your life is out of whack. And he would take him back to the Old Testament. He said, look what God did to him. And if God did that to them, he says, me and you are in bad shape. He was correcting the young church because they didn't know Jesus. They come out of a bad way. They wanted to love Jesus. They wanted to serve him and wanted to follow him. But they didn't necessarily know the word. And Paul would direct him and he would correct him that. In instruction for righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect. And what that means is, is when you're sharing your faith, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We mess up, don't we? We do things we shouldn't do. We say things we shouldn't say. So we're not perfect. It don't mean that we're perfect when we share our faith. It's that means when we share the word, the word is right and the word is perfect and the word is just. And if that word is just and perfect, we are on a right standing. We don't have to worry about anything. That what we're saying and what we're teaching and what we're doing, it is right. And that word is perfect. And since the word is perfect, it's thoroughly furnished to do all the good things it wants us to do. The Church of the Brethren has a rich history in doctrine, in teaching, in communion, in being together as the body of Christ, in building churches, in reaching out. It's a rich tradition. 
It was built upon the right foundation. It's got good doctrine. It's got good reproof, good correction. And the men and women who built the church, they live for him and for his glory, not for themselves. You're a recipient of that goodness, and now you live that goodness out to other people. I've already said it last week, through your commissions, through your life, through what you do. We do the work of God, and we can rest assured as we're doing His work and we're in His Word, that work is perfect, not because of us, but because of Him and His glory. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, what happens when we're following Him and serving Him? And doing right by him. This is why I started this psalm in the call to worship this morning. I'm going to read it again. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his seasons. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The work you do grows, and it spreads, and it magnifies because you're doing the work of God. This church built from two churches, built from a whole community who walked everywhere, went on horse and buggy. They work for the Lord. Good doctrine, good teaching, and it spread and it grew. And we're a result of that blessing of God on their lives. And you too share that. You have that in your heart. You share that with your family and you live it out. And as we're doing that, we can rest assured God will bless it. He will multiply it and he will magnify it because he's God. And God says, I'm God and I cannot lie. He will never lie to us. He will never forsake us. He will never leave us. We must be in his word. So I ask you this morning, West Alexandria Church of the Brethren, please continue to make reading his word a part of your life, a part of your relationship. If it's one minute a day, if it's 30 seconds a week, but somehow we must spend time in the word, get to know him, get to know his will and his way as you're already doing. You're already doing it. Continue to be faithful in his word and allow him to work through us as a body of Christ to accomplish his will, to accomplish his mission. is to see everybody come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us continue to make reading his word a part of our lives. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning in Jesus' name thanking you for your holy word. The word that leads us, it guides us, it directs us, it comforts us. We can take security in your word, and by your word we'll prosper. We grow in you, and we learn from you. And we thank you for the forefathers who laid the foundation of this church. And all of us who are in this church, Lord, that we are loving you, and we're serving you, and we're following you, and we're sharing our faith with others, what you've done in our lives and how much you mean to us. And we're doing the work, Lord. And your word says, God, if we do the work, you'll bless it, and you'll prosper it, and you will grow it. So, Lord, I ask you this morning to do what you said you're going to do in our lives and in our hearts and grow your work and grow your kingdom and help us to be successful in you, Lord, for your glory and your honor. We lift you up and we exalt you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.